All right. Well, if you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 6. Like Joe said, we've been going through the gospel of Luke, really focusing in on the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we're in a part of the scripture where Jesus is giving, uh, or Luke is recounting for us some of Jesus' most well-known sermons, right? Most well-known illustrations. In the last two weeks, we've seen Jesus speaking into how we build healthy relationships. And that it requires all of us to trust the process in following him, but the fruit is really sweet. Today, he calls us to step back, not to look at just the relationships in our lives, but our life in general, kind of our whole life, the life that we're trying to lead and to live and to build and to pursue. And in our church, we have people of all different ages and stages and different places along the journey. But I believe this is important for each one of us because we all want to live a fruitful life. We all want to live a life that's marked by good treasure, life as it's meant to be lived, life to the full, wherever you are today. And Jesus is going to speak into that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. And we are going to focus in on verses 43 through 45. It's a short passage of scripture, but it's really powerful. Jesus gives us two metaphors speaking about the good life. So let's read. Jesus speaking, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's Luke 6, 43 through 45. And here we see Jesus gives us two distinct metaphors that both communicate the same big ideas, right? The first metaphor is related to fruit and to plants and how plants grow. And the second one is related to people and treasure. Two different metaphors, both communicating the same thing, talking about a fruitful life or a life marked with treasure. And as we get started, I wanted to ask you kind of what is your definition of a fruitful life. Like when you think about your life, I got a picture of a field, if we can put that up. If, if you were to think about your life as an open field where you could plant and grow anything, what are the things that you are trying to cultivate or to grow through your life such that at the end of your life, you would say, this was a life well lived. This was a fruitful life. What would that be for you? Or if you can put the picture of the, the stock market uh, using the second image of treasure, right? If you think about your life as a stock portfolio, what are the stocks that you are investing in and wanting to grow so that you would say, man, that is a portfolio marked by good treasure. You're investing in Netflix and not Blockbuster, Amazon and not Barnes & Noble. Like what are the things that you're investing in that you're like, man, if I can have that, Life is good. I want you to think about that for you. And while you're thinking about that, I want to uh, share with you a few examples uh, that people have given about this type of what's, what is the good life. Uh, one that you might say as well is common is kind of the idea of the American dream. 
that we could have a good job, we could have a, a good family, we could have a good house, and we could have lots of money left over after funding all of those three endeavors, right? That we live a life that's kind of like comfortable and nice. That's the American dream. And maybe for you, that's the good life. Where you're like, man, if I could do that, that's life as it's meant to be lived. Uh, the Dalai Lama gave a different picture of the good life. He said, the good life is about how much we can help other people. That the point of life of living well is helping others, and where we can't help them, at least not hurt them, right? That's the good life, is in helping others. I watched a TV show this week where, surprisingly, they started talking about the meaning of life. And one character uh, said, you know, I think the meaning of life is to be good to the one you love and work really hard, right? And maybe for you, work and the work of your hands is the thing. If your career goes well, you know that that's the thing. You say, man, that's a full life. That's a, a good life. Another one, and I wish I could do his voice. Arnold Schwarzenegger spoke on his definition of the meaning of life or the good life. And so I want you to imagine as I read this, just him and the Terminator voice uh, saying this. He said, the meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but it's to move ahead. It's to go up. It's to achieve. It's to conquer. Arnold's definition of the meaning of life. And you could see him. Yeah, I, I bet that's true in your world. Sigmund Freud said the meaning of life was found in sexual experience. That it was in kind of these different sexual experiences that we could have that that's where real life is. And so a full life is unhindered sexual experience. I remember as a teenager, we were on a school uh, field trip and our, our van almost got hit by a car like, you know, coming into our lane. And there was a kid in the back who screamed out when he saw us having, he screamed out, Oh God, don't let me die. I haven't had sex yet. Right? <laughs> uh, group of high school boys, right? Uh, many of us live that way. That's what we think is, man, real life is just in, is in sex and sexuality. Uh, Anthony Kennedy, who just retired from the Supreme Court, said the meaning of life is, is that you create your own meaning. That you decide, not someone else, but you decide this is the good life, right? And Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, ever the positive uh, influence, said life has no meaning. There is no good life. That's just an illusion. So if you want to leave on an upbeat note, just think about that one. What would be your definition of the good life? Gathered around Jesus today, uh, hearing this teaching are people like you and like me. There's Peter, who we know was a fisherman by trade, right? He had his own little fishing company. And he was married, and it seems like he was happy in running his business and loving his wife and kind of living, not the American dream, but maybe the Israeli dream, right? He's around Jesus at the time of this teaching. Another person gathered around Jesus is a man named Simon the Zealot. Now, he didn't get that name because of just being very zealous. He was part of a political party, the Zealots, that wanted to see their nation rise to prominence again, wanted to see Israel great again, right? And that was the good life. So he's kind of maybe like Arnold, like, I want to conquer, you know? You've got Peter living the Israeli dream, Simon, I want to conquer. Uh, another person who we're going to meet in the next chapter was a woman 
whose life centered around and was marked by a sexual experience. She was a prostitute, right? And she becomes a disciple of Jesus. So I imagine there were some people like that around him. There was Matthew, right? His life up until meeting Jesus was centered around making money. That was the passion of his life. That's what he was into, get rich or die trying. That's what he was about, right? All these people just like you and me, right? We could probably relate with all of them gathered around Jesus. And in Jesus, something they had experienced, something they had encountered, something they had seen in the life that he was living and getting to know him and seeing what he was about had captured their hearts and their minds and had caused them to see, man, this vision of the good life that I've had, right, is so far inferior to the vision of the good life that I see in Jesus. Jesus was speaking about life as it was meant to be lived. And all of these disciples who came from different backgrounds, people like you and me, had encountered something so satisfying in Jesus that they had said, I'm leaving behind my old hopes and dreams and the things that I was about, the stories that were forming me, and I'm stepping into what Jesus is about. That's who's gathered there. So as we consider this passage of Scripture, we're going to learn three things about the good life that I think for all of us we could take into our lives this week and they'd make a real difference. The first thing that we're going to see is we're going to see the harvest of a fruitful life. What makes a life fruitful according to Jesus? What was it that Peter saw and Simon saw and Matthew saw and Mary saw that was like, man, that's the fruitful life that I want to be about. That's the life marked by good treasure that I want to pursue. What was it? What was Jesus saying? This was the good life. Number two, as we see that, he answers a second question for us, which is where do we start? If we're saying, yeah, I want that life Jesus is talking about, where do we even begin with that? And the third thing that we see is beyond the beginning, how do we grow into that? So not just get started, but how do we grow a fruitful life? Those are the three things we're going to learn. So let's focus in first on what is a fruitful life in the way of Jesus? What, what, what is it all uh, about? Right. If you'll go back to the... Um, the scripture, the Luke scripture, we see him talking about this idea of fruit and good treasure. And you're not going to see the answer of what Jesus defines as fruitful here in this teaching. It's actually connected to the larger story of the Bible. It's connected to the larger teaching of Jesus. It's meant to make you, huh, what is a fruitful life? And Jesus teaches that a fruitful life, someone came up to him and said, hey, hey, what's the main thing in life? What are the greatest commandments? Jesus said the first greatest commandment, the most important thing, the good life, the fruitful life was defined by this. It's Matthew 22, 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So in the way of Jesus, the most important thing that he said marked a fruitful life was to love God with everything that you have. Now, this is shockingly good news. 
Because the story of mankind, the story of you and me, is that we were made in the image of God. That no one was created by accident, no one was an afterthought, but the same God that created the Milky Way galaxy and created the Rocky Mountains and created the beautiful oceans, that he created you and me and every person on the planet with glory baked into us. We're made in the image of God. Author G.K. Chesterton said that concept, the glory with which God made into people, the potential that he put inside them, he says the most difficult doctrine in Christianity to grasp. Beyond the virgin birth, beyond resurrection from the dead, beyond all those things, the most difficult uh, doctrine to grasp is the depth of glory that is placed in each one of us in the whole world, made in the image of God. And God made us for a purpose. He made us with a calling. He made us to be people that flourished and were fruitful and lived these glory-filled lives that reflected His glory and His goodness. And we, along the way, we, we, we turned we kind of came up with our own agenda. We said, hey, I, I don't really want to go your way, God. I don't want to go that, that purpose that you put for me to be and who you've called me to be. I want to, kind of want to chart my own path. I want to choose my own adventure. I want to make my own way. I actually think I could maybe do it better than you, and you're holding out on me, right? That's the story of Adam and Eve. And when that happened, and that's a common story for all of us, with the image of God inside of us where there was like this life of the Spirit, it died. That, 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 we, that we died spiritually. That every person on the planet experienced spiritual death. And part of the fruit of that spiritual death uh, we see is that we love the wrong things or we love things in the wrong order. That our loves are discombobulated and disoriented. That we treasure the wrong things. Let me give you an example. We, we can love donuts more than salad, right? One time is not going to hurt you, but 40 years of, of, oh yeah, I love salad. I love donuts. I love donuts more than salad. Uh, that choice over 40 years will destroy your physical health, right? It will. But on a more serious note, you know, we can love power and we can love people but if we love power more than we love people, like if those loves are disordered, then we will use people to gain power, right? And that has tremendous negative consequences in our lives. We can, we can value um, like achievement and success over integrity. We can, value, we, we can value achieving some certain milestone in our lives over integrity. We can love integrity, but we can love success more. We can love achievement more. And when we do that, we'll compromise our integrity in order to achieve something that we think is great. So we'll compromise who we are and who we're made to be. Again, the ramifications of that are staggering. It's Our loves have gotten dis ordered, out of order. And as Jesus comes and he paints this picture of the good life, and he says, hey, the first aspect of the good life is that you're going to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What he's painting for us is an incredible healing solution to our lives. 
Because God is the only thing that when we love him first, when we put him in his proper place, when we don't value other things over him, but he's number one, everything else falls into alignment in our lives. Our loves get in the right order. It doesn't mean that everything goes easy for us or life just works out like perfect, but we value or we love the right things in the right order. And it sets us up to flourish. So this idea of loving God, Jesus said, hey, knowing God is the fullness of life possible. And it makes sense. If God's the creator who has in himself indestructible life, of course, knowing him is like the best life possible. And when we know him and we love him, things fall into order for us. That's why this is such good news. It's so beautiful. It's why you're like, man, this is why Peter was like, I want to live a life that loves God above all else. Like God is supremely lovable. And when I do, all these things come into Order. That was the first dimension of the good life. The second dimension of the good life was not just to love God, but Jesus said, and the second greatest commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So again, we're loving God and we're loving our neighbor. We're living a life, an occupation, a calling of love. Not sentimental, I just kind of feel so moved, like, a, like I'm a living Hallmark card. No, a deep life of loving people, building loving relationships, loving the world around us. Through our relationships, through the work of our hands to leave a legacy of love. And again, the fruit of that is going to be people flourishing. I love that this says, love your neighbor as yourself, which is imply, implies that you're loving yourself too. So we're loving who we are, and we're loving other people. And Jesus is saying, this is the good life. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, that sounds good. I'm, just, I'm very far from that on a day-to-day basis. I'm going to need some character change to get there, right? And that's the third dimension is not upward or outward, but it's inward Jesus said the good life is having your character restored and developed that you could live as an image bearer of God in all its glory. Galatians 5, puts it like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's who God wants to build you into and build me into. People with that kind of glorious character. That's the good life that Jesus is holding out. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, we're super glad that you're here. This is important for you to understand about Jesus. This is where he's wanting to take you. This is what he is holding out as an opportunity for you. A life marked by this restoration and building you into the type of person that knows God and loves God and loves the right things in the right order and loves people and lives with this glorious character. That's what following Jesus is about. And you might be like, well, Zach, that may be what it's about. I just haven't seen that very much in people who call themselves Christians. I agree with you. You're right. We're not very good at this. And we need a deep work of repentance. But I want to challenge you not to evaluate the truthfulness of Jesus and his vision for the good life based on what you've seen 
looking at people, but I want to encourage you to look at him. Let me give you an example. We'd all agree that Einstein is a genius, right? Just otherworldly mental powers. And he came up with incredible discoveries and formulas that I, I, you know, I read about. I don't even understand really what, you know, what in the world is this? Just so smart on another level. If you went to the pool today and you saw someone reading a book about Einstein and they said they were a student of Einstein, but they were talking about using his formulas in crazy ways, that wouldn't cause you to say, hey, Einstein is not legitimate. You'd be like, that person's strange. I think they missed the point, right? So if you're not a Christian, I'm saying the same thing. Jesus is a genius. He's incredibly beautiful and glorious and good. And the vision that he's holding out shouldn't be evaluated on the conduct of the person on the right or the left. We wouldn't use that kind of way of thinking in anywhere else in life. But we should look at him. And if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you to some self-reflection on what your vision of the good life is or what your vision of a life with good treasure is. Because I find at least in myself, and maybe you can relate, I can, I can value Jesus uh, to a level, but if you dig into the core of me, into my core operating system, so often what's beating in my heart is a different vision of the good life. Sometimes it's the American dream. Sometimes it's the, the, the conquering deal. Sometimes it's the work deal. It's different. But I find that so often I can want to use Jesus to get this other vision of the good life that I really want. And Jesus isn't going to be played like that. He's not going to be used like that. He's not going to take you into another vision of the good life. And so we can get really discouraged or frustrated and throw fits and feel disillusioned because like this is not working out like I thought it was going to work out. And Jesus is like, that's not the vision that I'm leading you into. So we as Christians, we need to take time and take stock and to think reflectively over is our vision of the good life the same vision that Jesus is leading us into. And if it's not, we're the ones that need to change, not him. Now, second characteristic, you're like, okay, well, that sounds like a fruitful life. I got some, I got some props here. Uh, I, I got some, a, a little trophy with some treasure. Okay, I, I, I'd like my life to be like a trophy with some, with some treasure. Hopefully it's treasure that costs a little bit more than this little costume jewelry, but that's a different story. Uh, I've got some fruit. You know, I want to live a fruitful life. A little pineapple. A little mango. A peach, just to help us kind of with it. So, so if you're like, man, Zach, I, I, I get, okay, Jesus is painting a life picture of, of treasure, of fruitfulness. I, I want that. Where in the world do I start? Let's go back to our passage because Jesus shows us where to start. So notice in the first section, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. So you get the idea, and I was talking to my kids this week, and they were like, oh, that makes total sense, Dad. If you, if you want to grow a peach tree, you need a peach seed. A peach seed grows a peach tree. A peach seed does not grow an apple tree, right? If you want to grow a mango... Now, I don't know, do mangoes grow on trees? If you want to grow a mango, just, just good audience participation. It's the most you've said all day. 
if I want to grow a mango tree in my backyard, I need a mango seed, right? Mango seeds produce mango trees. Trees, plants produce according to their kind. If I want to grow a pineapple tree, I need pineapple seed, right? You're not going to grow a pineapple tree from a zucchini. It just doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. The second illustration, Jesus talks about treasure, and he's saying, look, if you, uh, let's put it up there, for the good person out of the good treasure in their heart produces good. So if you want to be the type of person that produces good treasure, right, it doesn't start with a treasure. It requires you to look back and work back a little bit to the nature of the person. If you want to grow a fruitful life, don't start by just trying to figure out that fruit. you got to back up. you got to think, what's the seed that builds this type of tree? Now, this is very different than the way our, our world works because our world says that it's what we do that defines who we are. You're in school. You do well on a science test, so you did well, so now you're a smart kid. You, are, uh, you do well at football, so now you're an athletic kid. What we do determines who we are. But that leads to a very shaky places in lives because as soon as we're not the smartest kid around, as soon as we're not the best football player around, our whole identity is just washed away. Jesus works the other way. He says being precedes doing. That who you are determines the, 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 what comes out of your life. That roots precede fruit. Not fruit precedes roots, right? I'm like, oh, that's common sense, but it's just not the way we think. So Jesus is asking us the question, if you want a fruitful life, it begins by looking within. What kind of seed are you? At your core, who are you? What kind of seed? Now, this is not an open-ended question where you can answer, well, you know, I think my spirit animal is a unicorn or whatever it is. It's not that. It's not, it's not filling the blank with whatever you think. Jesus actually gives a diagnosis that there are only two types of seed in the world. That every person is made in the image of God, made with this glorious potential. But that every person is spiritually dead through sin. So type one, spiritually dead. And Jesus says this is the default condition over the human race. So you and me, that we are born spiritually dead. It's why you don't have to teach your two-year-old how to throw a fit. It just comes naturally. We're spiritually dead. Okay? When we'll look at Ephesians chapter 2, it spells this out. The Apostle Paul articulates it for us. And he says this in Ephesians 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So first type of seed is spiritually dead. Every person on the planet. And Jesus doesn't just come bringing the heavy diagnosis of here's what's wrong with you. He's come to make people spiritually alive. It's one of the ways to understand his ministry. Look in Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So get this. Jesus makes spiritually dead people alive. Jesus takes people made in the image of God but are, but are overwhelmed with spiritual death. 
And he breathes life into their spirit. And he makes them spiritually alive. So Jesus is not someone, this is just what I thought and no one told me, that, that he was kind of a good teacher who made bad people good if you followed his way. Right? And so for me, he was kind of one of many. You've got Buddha, you've got that Deepak Chopra guy, or Jordan Peterson, or whoever it may be. Oh, I follow his teaching. I'm a, I'm a bad person. I'll get better. And so I just kind of had Jesus with all the rest. But that would be a misunderstanding. And if you're not a Christian, I want to make sure you understand that. That's not what Jesus is about. He's not making bad people good. He's making dead people alive. That's why the central kind of celebration of Christianity is the cross, right? Death to life or baptism, death to life. So Jesus is making dead people alive. So Jesus said, if you're looking within and you're thinking about your seed, one of two kinds, very simple, Dr. Jesus here saying, your default state is spiritual death. I've not come to leave you there just to give you the diagnosis and walk off. I've come to be the remedy. Not just bring your remedy. I am the remedy. And I want to heal you. And I want to make you spiritually alive. And I want to restore you. And I want to make you glorious. I want to build into you. Imagine a painter who painted this incredible painting. And then someone comes along and defaces it and defiles it and just corrupts it from where it was. And the painter coming back and saying, you know what? This painting is not worth being thrown away. Because I remember the glory with which I made it. So I'm going to restore it. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's what he is about. So if you're wondering, well, what kind of seed am I? My question to you is, have you received Jesus? Because if you haven't, then you are spiritually dead. And if you have, you're spiritually alive. Look at 1 Peter uses this exact same metaphor. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again. When you receive Jesus, it's like being born again. Uh, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Not of perishable seed have you been born again, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. So when you become a follower of Jesus, he takes his life and he plants it in your spirit. He plants a new seed, right? He plants this seed that's going to produce, that has the potential to produce that fruitful life that he's talking about. It's amazing. So if you have received Jesus, you've got this seed inside of you. Incredible potential. This restoration. But then your next question is, okay, but Zach, I, I, I understand that. I just don't see a lot of change in my life. I don't see a lot of the fruit of what you're talking about. In fact, I hate singing that uh, song that you guys sing, Jesus Breaks Every Chain. I don't sing it when you sing it because I don't really know that he breaks every chain because i got a lot of chains still in my life. Or I don't sing, God, you're never going to let me down because I feel let down by God because of this and this and this that remains in my life. Oh, man, I feel for you. I, I like so empathize with you. What I want to point out to you, though, is that when you have a peach seed, right, it has the potential for great fruit. Right? Within it, it has baked into it the potential for great fruit. But it needs more than just potential to actually bear that type of fruit. Right? So when we look at this passage, Jesus, now I want to point out to you where he says this idea of fruit. It's, it's no good tree bears bad fruit. Hanging on that word, bears. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. 
this idea of bearing fruit. On the second metaphor, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. So there's the idea of bearing fruit or producing, right? And we'd all agree with that. If, if you want to grow a peach tree, you need to plant the peach and you need it to have the right environment. You need to have soil and sunlight and water and you need those things, right? We've talked a lot about that. It has a lot to do with community. So if you're new with this and that idea is new, last August we did a teaching series on the power of community. You can go on iTunes, on our podcast and find it. It's free. You can listen to it. It will help you. I'm not going to focus on that today because we've talked a lot about that. I'm going to focus on something a little different for us related to production. Because again, the seed doesn't just need the right environment. It needs processes like photosynthesis, right? And it's those processes in the right environment over time that grow a fruitful life, that grow a fruitful tree. In the same way, as disciples of Jesus, the first thing that we need to know is what seed is in us. Then the second question that we need to ask, okay, that's the start, that's the beginning. The second question we need to ask is, okay, what do I do now? I need the right environment to grow, and I need the right practices to grow, to draw the potential out of what God has put inside of me. I need the right people around me, and I need the right kind of habits for holiness in my life. They're going to draw out the fruit. And so many times when we're stuck and it's like I've got these chains on me that I just don't know how to get free of, sometimes we've forgotten what seed is inside of us and you need someone to remind you. This is who you are. But sometimes we need the right environment. You're, like in the, you're running with people that aren't running the same direction you're running in. You need a different direction. Or we need to be taught and trained some processes or some practices that when we implement them, they lead to spiritual growth. Last week, I showed you a picture of Steph Curry. Uh, he's the, the NBA, he's won the MVP two times, NBA championship four times. He says he's the best shooter in basketball history. We talked about him last week. Now, what you may not know, and this is interesting, is that his dad played in the NBA. His dad was a very good three-point shooter. We have a picture of him. His name's Dell. He was so good that they would have him compete in these kind of best-of-the-league competitions. And Steph, as his son, was along for the ride. So we have a picture of little Steph at the All-Star game sitting in his dad's lap. That's him in the light blue, right? So he's got all the genetic potential to be an incredible basketball player. You may not have that. I may not have that. But he's got it, right? This potential. But he didn't get to be an incredible basketball player just off potential. How did he get there? Off of practice. Let's show the picture of him in middle school. It's amazing. He's out there in middle school practicing. And if you read his bio, it's not that everything was always easy for him. He said at one summer he had to rework something on a shot and people just laughed at him and said, why are you even playing basketball? He's not that tall. He's not that fast. He's not that strong. He didn't really get recruited into college, but he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced over and over and over again. Not for a day, not for a week, but for decades. And now he said that he practices so much that his goal is that when he gets in the game, everything slows down. It's like everyone else is in slow-mo because he's gone over it so much that he's not even having to think about it because it's just built in to the system because of his practice. 
So spiritually, we need practices to build on our potential, to produce fruit or to draw the good treasure that God has planned in us to draw that out of our lives. Does that make sense? So I want to show you a spiritual example because you're like, I, don't, I get it. I get three point shooting. I don't. What do you mean? Spiritual practices. I want to show you a little video uh, that illustrates this well. Uh, just to set it up, this is a man named Derek Carr. He's the quarterback of the Raiders NFL football team. After he signed a $125 million contract, show you the video. Your priorities are in life and everything are well known, huh. but it is a huge contract. Um, just and you're not really an extravagant guy, but is there one thing that, you, that you're going to sort of splurge on that you can let Chick, us know? Chick-fil-A, probably Chick-fil-A. Uh, I've been eating clean. Lad, we got Lad here. He's been having me eat clean. I'll probably get some Chick-fil-A. But uh, no, uh, first thing I'll do is I'll pay my tithe like I have since I was in college, getting $700 on a scholarship check. Um, you know, that, that won't change. I'll do that. Uh, I'll probably give my wife something nice. Uh, you know, even though she begs me not to, she, she still gets coupons ever since we, ever since I've known her, she finds coupons, she gets online trying to find discounts and all those things. And, uh, none, none of that's going to change. The, the exciting thing for me, money wise, honestly, is that this money's going to help a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, I'm very thankful to have it, that it's in our hands because it's going to help people not only in this country, but in a lot of countries around the world. Um, and that's what, that's, what's exciting to me. Stunning, like, like the media was stunned after this. You can't believe how many websites have that video on there, right? This generosity, this different, this different spirit, right? He's a Christian. He has this seed planted within him because God himself is generous, right? But he talked about, I started in college when I was on a $700 scholarship check of tithing to the Lord. I mean, setting apart the first 10% of my income, week in and week out, giving it to my church to worship Jesus, week in, week out, $700 a month. And then, as he's grown, as life opportunities have come his way, now he gets $125 million. And what's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? Well, same thing I've been doing, my practice since I was in college, I'm going to give the first 10% to the Lord, buy some Chick-fil-A, buy something for my wife. And then, did you hear that? What I'm really excited about is that this money can go to help so many people. Just generosity flowing out of his mouth. How did that happen? He has the seed in him through receiving Christ, but it's that practice, the spiritual practice of tithing week in and week out that built within him a generous spirit over time. And so now what you see is this fruitfulness that impacts people far and wide, that leaves a watching world being like, what in the world is that? We've not seen anything like that. We need these practices that build us toward fruit. And that's what our next kind of place that Jesus goes that we'll cover uh, beginning next week dive more into this idea of those practices that when we implement them, like Derek was saying, I implemented my tithe, it's faithful in that, then it builds within us this character and this fruitfulness and this growth. So I want to invite you to stand with that, and we're going to close. 
We'll have our prayer uh, and prophetic team available here in the front. We want to minister to anyone who wants it. Uh, If you need physical healing, we pray for physical healing, and we've seen God heal in powerful ways. And if you need physical healing, I want to invite you to come forward in a minute. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you're like, man, I, I need that seed in me. I need to follow Jesus. Man, I want you to come forward in a minute. We want to help you. Specifically, we want to pray for people with earaches. We believe that God wanted to heal ears today. And then secondly, and this is a little, little peculiar, uh, just admit that, but we've seen these produce fruit. If you um, really like the Pittsburgh Steelers, the baseball team, we believe that God wants to minister to you. Pittsburgh Pirates, sorry, thinking of football. I'm not a baseball guy. Pittsburgh Pirates, the baseball team, we believe that God in a special way wants to minister to you, and that will mean something to you, and we'll be available to pray and minister to you. So if the prayer team can come forward, I'm going to pray, Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, for this good vision of the good life. Thank you that you plant your seed within us when we receive you by grace, Lord. And thank you that you train us, you give us practices that when we implement, draw out the potential of the seed to live a fruitful life, to live a life filled with good treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.